two roads diverged on a yellow wood. Sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. The long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the underbrush, and then took the other, just as fair, having perhaps a better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though, as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. Both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, and yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever get back. I should be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged on a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. One of my favorite poems by one of my favorite poems, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. You probably memorized it when you were in seventh grade like I did. I like that poem in part because it holds up a biblical truth that is so important for us to understand, which is that there is a choice in life, that there are a clear choice between two ways to live our lives. Jesus presented that truth in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is smooth that leads to destruction. And those who find it are many. But the way is narrow. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Today we are winding up our summer series from the Psalms and we're, start, we're winding it up at the beginning because we're going back to Psalm 1. And one of the reasons I selected this psalm for today is because I believe it's important for us to understand the choice that the psalmist lays before us. Let's take a look at that psalm together. It's uh, printed in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, you might want to turn to it. Psalm number one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Pretty clear contrast, isn't it? Two ways, two ways that we can live our lives. One is to associate ourselves with those who stand in opposition to God, who mock the things of God, who do not believe the word of God. That's one way, and we can choose that way, and many people do. But the psalmist says the person who is blessed by God chooses another way. And to help us understand the contrast, he uses two vivid pictures. The first is of the, of the, the person, the man or the woman who is blessed by God, who, whom God is watching over and protecting. whom God is blessing. He says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. 
And his leaf doesn't wither and he bears fruit in his season and everything he does prospers. The, the tree. Don't you love trees? Remember when Sally and I built our home back in 1993 and we planted some trees and some of them were pretty small. And I was honestly thinking, I'm never going to live to see these trees get big. Or at least I'm not going to be around Cedar Falls to see those trees grow big. And now they tower over our two-story house and they are big and they give shade and the birds nest in them. They are amazing. In Israel, in the biblical country at the time this psalm was being written, there really weren't a lot of trees. Now there were like olive trees and fig trees. There were some palm trees. But trees like we think of, like an oak tree, were so rare that they were actually considered to be landmarks. So... The Bible says that Abraham went as far as the oak at Mamre. You know, you could just talk about the oak because there's only one of them, right? I mean, think about an oak tree for a minute. I've read that an oak tree can have as many as 100,000 leaves, as those of you who have neighbors who have oak trees probably uh, <laughs> will testify to, you know, that their root system is about as big underground as the branches are above ground. Trees, solid, and their roots digging down, and they are grounded. You know. And contrasting that, the psalmist says, this person who's living his life in opposition to God, who mocks the things of God, who scorns the way that God has said we ought to live, that person is like the chaff which the wind dries away. You know what chaff is? When they would harvest wheat, each kernel of wheat has around it a little covering thinner than paper, and that's chaff. One of the really interesting places that we visited in Israel was a, a place where the, where the chaff was gathered, a winnowing field. It was a big area. I'm thinking maybe about the size of the stage up here with a hard rock pressed floor and kind of a small stone wall around it. And the farmer would bring his weed up and he'd dump it there. And then he would take a winnowing fork, kind of with big tongs reaching out, and he'd throw the grain up into the air. And the kernel of wheat, which is heavy, falls to the ground. But the chaff, this little covering of the wheat, paper thin, blows away as the wind comes in off the Mediterranean to that hilltop where the winnowing field was set and blows the chaff away, it's worthless. It's gone. Thousands of years, nobody's ever found a, a use for chaff. You know. And the psalmist says that's the contrast, that's the choice that you have to be aware of, and it is really clear. You can live your life like the tree planted by streams of water, or your life can be meaningless and worthless and end up like chaff which the wind blows away. Now, what's going to make the difference? What is the mark of the person whose life is like a tree? He says that person is one who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the last Sunday I'm going to be teaching to you uh, as your pastor. And so I seriously thought about dumping on you everything that I hadn't had a chance to say in 33 years. Um, I decided against that, but I did decide maybe this is a chance for us to get really honest. Because 
I'm, I'm making an assumption that I am pretty sure is true, and it's this, that for the majority of Christians, maybe the vast majority of Christians, they not only do not delight in the law of the Lord, they don't even like it. And when the psalmist talks about the law of the Lord, of course, this is written a thousand years before the time of Jesus. That what they're talking about was the, the books of Moses primarily, these first five books of the Bible. What it means for us is the whole Bible, the word of God. When it's talking about the law of God, or sometimes it'll call it the law of Moses, it includes the commands of God. It includes the, um, the laws that God has given to us, but it's much more than that. It is the Bible that we're talking about here. How many Christians delight in the Bible? I don't think so. I think for most Christians, they don't even like the Bible. That really, it's, it's a huge book, hundreds of pages. It is so hard to understand. They don't get the vocabulary. It's talking about a culture and practices that don't make any sense. And it, at the very best, it's irrelevant to our lives today. And at worst, it is a set of rules and laws that are designed to sap all the joy and fun and meaning out of life. And that's scary because the psalmist is saying that the person whose life is going to have meaning and stability is one who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And I would say for most of us, that's not us. So in the few minutes we have left, what I want to do is to try to change your view of what the law of the Lord is, and then to give you some, uh, some suggestions of maybe how the law of the Lord can become more of a delight in your life. See, I believe this book is the revelation of how God has been at work in the world. I believe it's God telling us who He is and how we can know Him and how we can live our lives in a way that's going to bring us the very kind of thing that the psalmist is describing in Psalm 1. A couple weeks ago, uh, Sally and I and my daughter Amy went to visit our son Dan in Michigan. Dan is a metallurgical engineer. And uh, people will ask me, so uh, what does Dan do? And I say, well, he's a, he's a metallurgist. And they'll say, well, a metallurgist, what, what is that? And I say, well, uh, it's a person who works with metallurgical stuff. <laughs> I don't know what he does. I don't really know what a metallurgist is. So while we're in Michigan, Dan gave me this book that he got for me. Metallurgy for the Non-Metallurgist. It's basically metallurgy for dummies, is what it is. Now, I want to tell you about this book. I've started reading it. It is terrible. It uses words I do not understand. It even has a glossary in the back, and I don't understand the definitions in the glossary of the word that I didn't understand in the text that I'm reading. And it talks about processes and things. It is so hard. You'd think I would dislike this book a lot. The truth is, it is precious to me for a couple of reasons. One is, because when Dan got this book for me, it said to me that Dan cares about whether or not I know what he does. That it's important to my son that I, his dad, understand how he spends his days, 
what he studied, what his degrees are in, you know, how he spends his life. And I believe that if I read this book, that I'm going to know Dan better, that I'm going to understand him better, and that our relationship is going to be closer. I think the Bible is like that. I think God cares so much about us knowing him, wants so much for us to understand him, that he went to all the trouble of seeing that this book was written, inspiring the writing of it, preserving it for us so that we have it today. So I'll tell you, you can hold me accountable for this. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to get through it. And Dan, if you're watching this online, I'm on page seven. But I'm going to read this book, Dan, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to work to understand it because I love you and because I care about our relationship. And I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to study it, and I'm going to work at it, even though it's hard and even though it uses words that I don't understand. But I'm going to do it because I love the God who reveals himself to us in it. And I want to know him better, and I want to know how he wants me to live. This is a cookbook. I had the great fortune, the good fortune of marrying a woman who is a wonderful cook. Sally is a good cook. And all of us guys who are overweight can probably say that about our mates. I I don't cook. And so I'm grateful that I have a wife who prepares wonderful meals for me. And uh, Sally, uh, it's a appropriate that she became a baker because she makes the best pies I've ever had in my life. And despite what rumor might hold, that is not the primary reason I married her, although it is high on the list. (laughs) Sally makes wonderful dishes and she follows the recipes in the cookbooks that are on the shelf in the kitchen. And uh, you might say that Cookbooks sort of take the joy out of cooking, but there's a reason for them, aren't they? That if you follow the directions, the rules, the laws in the cookbook, then what's going to happen is you're going to come out with a dish that is really good. And um, close your ears, Sally. Once, once in a while, uh, Sally will deviate from uh, the cookbook. So she'll fix a dish um, that I really like and will start to eat it. Uh, this tastes a little different than than usual, isn't it, Sally? And Sally will say something like, well, I started making it, and I realized I didn't have any sour cream, um, so I decided to use chip dip instead. <laughs> Did it, what do you think, you know? Now, you could look at the, the laws of God, the rules that God gives us in this book, and you'd think they, they limit our lives and they take the fun out of our lives and the creativity and all the negative things. You can think about what God has given us in this book. But I'm telling you, if you follow this book, you're going to come out with something good. In the same way, if you follow this, you're going to come out with something good. I believe, I believe this to the bottom of my heart, that every single law, every single rule, every single command that God gives us in this book is for our good. It's not for God's good. He didn't need it. We need it. God is telling us how we can live our lives in the way that the psalmist describes in Psalm 1. If we will delight in the law of the Lord, 
and meditate on it day and night, if we will follow this, if we will live by this, God is saying it's for our good. His intention is to spare us from from all of the the dangers that come from straying away from God and His Word. So uh, let me make a couple suggestions of maybe how you can take some steps in becoming the Psalm 1 tree that is described here. Um, If you're not subscribing to our daily scriptures, that's a good first step. Every day it comes to you um, online, a little passage of scripture, a brief passage, and a little uh, some little commentary about it. That can be a good step. I would say for most of us, though, we need to be moving beyond that as well. And one of the things that has really helped me um, is what are called study Bibles. And um, most of us have Bibles kind of, you know, like this, a regular kind of Bible. A study Bible is one that is designed to help you not only read the Bible, but to understand it. And for most of us, I think, understanding the Bible is the real problem. The vocabulary, the customs that are being described, the locations, it just gets all so muddled. A, um, a study Bible like this, and we have a picture of a page from it so you can see it a little better, um, is like this. So at the top of the page um, is the actual scripture passage. And then, like on this page, half the page is taking up, taken up with things like footnotes. And footnotes sound terrible, don't they? But these are really helpful. So that what I do is, before I begin, I just ask God to help me to understand His Word and to apply it to my life. And then I read this passage of Scripture, and then I read the footnotes, and I look at the map or whatever is here, and then I go back and read the passage again. And inevitably, when I do that, I understand more of what's in the Bible. I understand it better. A lot of my questions are answered because they've been answered right down here below this. So I would encourage you to think about getting a a study Bible. This is an ESV. It's a really modern translation and very up-to-date and very helpful. I've I've been pushing this for the last few months. A few people have already told me that they purchased them and have found them helpful. In fact, I had a guy come up to me this morning and saying he had gotten one. He He ordered it and he had to wait a few months to get it, although he ordered it in large print. Um... It's helpful. It it can be a big step in your meditating on and thinking about and understanding and taking delight in the law of the Lord. Another kind of Bible, and there are so many kinds of Bibles. This is another one. This is called a quiet time Bible. And the purpose of this one is not just so that you can understand it, but so it can help you worship God. It's intended directly to help your relationship with God. So again, it will... at the beginning of every passage, it'll give a little introduction to it. You read the passage, and then it asks some questions, some things to think about, some things for which to pray, praise God. It's intended to be used in your, in your personal time with God every day. Blessed is that person, you know who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You, know, you can live that kind of life. And let me just say to you, the one of the joys and delights of my life for the last 33 years has been having the privilege of coming to you again and again and with you opening the Word of God. And I believe that God has made Orchard Hill a tree 
Plant it on the Word of God. Be faithful to it. You know, keep at it. God will bless you for it. You will be amazed. This is the number one key to your growing in your relationship with God. It's here that God tells us how He sent His Son to die for us so that through Jesus our sins might be forgiven, we could come into a relationship with God, and God can help us as we live our lives each day. Uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, just, I thank you for the Bible. I apologize that too often I thought of it as drudgery or duty uh, to read it. I've looked at your laws as something that were negative or meant to harm us. How wrong, Lord. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Help us to find delight in your word, in your law. Help us to be diligent you know, in studying it and reading it and applying it to our lives. And when we do that, Lord, I believe you will make us like trees planted by streams of water and not like the chaff that the wind blows away. Amen.